Hey family, this is Josh Eggerson. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Faith Restored podcast. Faith Restored is a local church with a global mission to reach the lost and teach the found. And it's our hope that the word you're about to hear today encourages you, inspires you, and builds your faith. If you'd like to learn more about Faith Restored, you can visit us on our website at faithrestored.church. Now let's go live into this week's message. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 16. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, at my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. Verse 17, but the Lord stood with me, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all of the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 17 says simply, but the Lord stood with me. Amen. You may be seated. I want to preach for a little while using as a subject on this second year anniversary. He was always there. Was always there. Lord, I come to you now humbly asking you to do it one more time. And do it again, Lord. And God, if today be my last time, I pray that they not remember the body of a broken man, but they remember the testimony of him who strengthens the weak and gives power to the faint. In Jesus' name. But the Lord stood with me. In 1993, the rock band Santana released a song entitled Nobody. The refrain of the song was simply, I ain't got nobody that I can depend on. The song is not remembered for Carlos Santana's guitar riffs or for the melodic harmonies of the band background singers, but it is remembered for that simple refrain that resonates with so many. I ain't got nobody that I can depend on. And you can identify with those words, can't you? Doesn't matter how many Facebook friends you have, how many followers you have on Instagram, how many numbers you have in your phone. Life will bring you to a place where you feel as if in the time you need people the most, you ain't got nobody that you can depend on. Life has a way of reminding you that no matter how faithful of a friend you've been to others, no matter how close and caring of a confident, confidant you've been to other people, no matter how much you've been there for others, life has a way of reminding you that when you need people the most, they have a way of walking away from you and neglecting you in the time of trouble and bringing you to a place where you have to declare like Carlos Santana, I ain't got nobody that I can depend on. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been the one that's been the shoulder to cry on, been the one 
that's loaned the gas money, been the one that's paid for the food, been the one that remembered everybody's birthday, been the one that bought Christmas presents and gifts and secret Santas for folk at the office. And then when your time of need came around, you found yourself the least, the lost, and the left out. You've been looked past and looked over because in the time of need, you found it to be true that it's really hard to find people that will be like you are to them. Many of us have gotten disappointed and disrespected, looking for others to give us the same devotion and the same consistency and the same support that we give them, looking for others to be there for us the way we've been there for them in their time of need. And the funny thing about life is that people don't desert you when it's okay for them to desert you. People don't desert you when you're on top and you don't really need them. They never desert you when they're broke and you're paying all of their bills. They never desert you when they're lonely and you're the one comforting them, taking out of your precious day and your busy schedule. They never desert you when you got time and other friends and other supporters and other people and other relationships. People will wait until you are all by yourself at your lowest and at your least and they will walk away from you in the time of trouble and it does not matter how spiritual you are. It does not matter how saved you are. It does not matter how holy you claim to be. It doesn't matter how much you walk with the Lord. Every now and then life has a way of making you feel like you're by yourself when you need folk the most and you'll sing like Santana I ain't got nobody that I can depend on. And beloved, this is the harsh reality of life. People will walk away from us. They will leave us. They will forsake us. They will leave us alone in the time of trouble. They will desert us in the midst of our disaster. They will abandon us in adversity. They will close the door on us in the midst of our calamity. But the beauty of our life is that even when people walk away from us, even when people desert us, even when people have cast us aside, we serve a God that has promised to always be there in the time of trouble. If you have been abandoned on the journey of life, the beauty of the believer's life is that we serve a God who is always present to comfort us, comfort us in our trials, strengthen us in our weakness, and rescue us from all danger. God is always there. As a matter of fact, if you would be honest today in this sanctuary, that's your testimony. That's the reason why you have not lost your mind. That's the reason why you ain't cussed nobody out. That's the reason why you haven't left uh, your, your thrown up your hands rather in the classic gesture of despair. It's because when you were by yourself, you have a God that was always by your side. He was always there. When mama and father forsook you, when friends walked away from you, when family was trifling and getting on your nerves and you didn't know how you were going to be able to make it and how to recover, God says, I'm going to stand there with you. I'm going to be right beside you. I'm going to comfort you when you feel like you're all by yourself. And that's our testimony, Faith Restored, as we look at these two years that God has protected us and kept us and provided us and held us together in the midst of the storm. We survived that ministry not because of my preaching, not because of my leadership, not because of the staff, not because of Mike Holloway's singing, not because of our marketing and our graphics and our video and all the other stuff that people brag on us for doing. 
doing. We survived because we have a God who was always there. People didn't stick with us that started with us. People that came in the middle have left us. People allowed coronavirus to scare them out of corporate worship, but somehow or another, God didn't let finances fall. He didn't let favor falter. He didn't let momentum stop. He kept us in the midst of trouble, and we're standing here because God stood right by us. When we felt like walking away, come on, be honest with me. You didn't feel like coming to church every Sunday in 2020. You didn't feel like turning on a live stream when Faith Restored was streaming live. You didn't always feel like you could afford to tithe. You didn't have the energy to encourage nobody to check on folk, to walk with them in trouble, but somehow or another, you reached down and found yourself comfort in the midst of your trouble. It's because God was always there. When people walked away from you, he was there. In the midst of your adversity, he was there. When your adversaries were accusing you and attacking your character and talking about you like a dog, saying you'd never make it, saying you'd never amount to anything, he stood by you in the midst of your trouble. And the beauty of your life is that if he's always been there, he will always be there. Because that is the consistency of the character of God. If God has been there, look at somebody and say, he will be there. He's not going to abandon you. He's not going to walk away from you. He's not going to desert you, good God Almighty. He's going to stand with you in the time of trouble. And he'll be there for you when no one else is. And whether you know it or not, beloved, that's the lesson that Paul is teaching us about in our text. Uh, Paul is writing a letter to his beloved son in the faith, a young man by the name of Timothy. He's written 1 Timothy now. Uh, hear me with the expectation that he's going to be able to visit Timothy again in Ephesus. Uh, when Paul writes 1 Timothy, you read it. Paul is writing with the expectation that he's going to see Timothy again. Uh, but in the middle between 1 and 2 Timothy, the Bible and history lets us know uh, that Paul goes to court uh, and he is sentenced to be executed uh, by the Roman Empire. Now Paul understands that he's not going to see Timothy again. Things have not worked out according to his plan. As a matter of fact, all of the people, all of the character witnesses that were supposed to defend Timothy or Paul in court deserted him and did not show up for his defense. And Paul is on death row, uh, getting ready to die. Uh, and the Bible says uh, that he is writing his final words uh, to his beloved son in the faith, uh, trying to encourage him on the journey. Uh, Paul says, I'm getting ready now to stick my sword in the sand, to cast down my sandals around God's glasses. See, I'm getting ready to be called from labor to reward, to live has been Christ, and now to die is my gain. Paul says, I'm getting ready to get up out of here now, son, but I want you to understand what's happened to me. And Paul, like many of us, in verses 9 through 16, begins to recount all of his trouble. He does not testify. He doesn't start out testifying about the goodness of God, Brother Herman. Paul starts off telling Timothy about all of the people that have harmed him, all of the people that have wronged him, all of the people that have walked away from him, all of the people who have abandoned him. He says, Alexander the coppersmith has done me much harm. You look out for him because he's on his way back to Ephesus. Uh, he says, people walked away from me in court. Uh, verse 16, verses 14 through 16, uh, Paul telling the story about how people have abused and abandoned him, left him by himself. And the truth of the matter is simply this. Because of our sinful nature, we oftentimes, like Paul, have a tendency to focus on 
one who left us rather than rejoicing over the God who stayed. God will put us in situations and allow us to experience seasons of abandonment. And in those seasons of abandonment, it is the trick of the devil to cause us to focus on everybody that did us wrong and to, like Paul, begin to recount the severity of our circumstance. But you got to understand that God is operating even in the midst of your abandonment. God is at work even when people are walking away from you because God allows people to walk away from you so that you can catch the revelation that when God is all you have with you, God is all you really need. God help me. As a matter of fact, some of us uh, have found out that some relationships we were in, some partnerships we were in, some people that we thought were essential are not really essential. Some people that were walking with us aren't really necessary. But if they hadn't walked away from us, uh, we'd be under the, under the assumption that we really needed them. But God allowed them to walk away from you and believe that you would crumble when they left. But somehow or another, you're still standing just as strong as you were when they were there. It's because God wants you to know that you didn't need nobody but me. I am the one that's kept you. I am the one that's held you up. I am the one that's provided for you. But not only that, God uses abandonment uh, to teach us uh, that some relationships are simply seasonal. Meaning this, uh, everyone who starts with you is not destined to stay with you. That doesn't make them bad people. That doesn't make them trifling. That doesn't make them the subject of the Facebook status. But it is simply the truth uh, that just because they start with you, uh, some people are there to start with you, uh, but they're not meant to stay with you. Uh, I asked the Lord how I could make this plain for you. You've heard me say this before. Uh, I used to want to be an astronaut. I had a teacher uh, in, in elementary school that told me uh, that couldn't no black kid be an astronaut, so God made me a preacher instead. I guess that was his plan all along, but I used to want to be an astronaut, and when the space shuttle's brother Herman took off, I would notice something interesting about the space shuttle. The space shuttle underneath has two huge uh, rocket engines attached to it. Uh, those rocket engines are full of rocket fuel, and that rocket fuel in those rocket boosters is designed to help the rocket or to help the space shuttle get into the upper atmosphere. But once the ignition happens and the space shuttle is carried into the upper atmosphere, Maya, something interesting happens. Those two rocket boosters are jettisoned off of the space shuttle and they fall back down into the water. Now, the thing that used to help propel that thing higher, the thing that was designed to help it get to where it was supposed to go. When it finally gets there, the rocket boosters don't get to have a celebration with the space shuttle about how they made it. They just got to fall down. As a matter of fact, if the rocket boosters are not jettisoned, it will pull the shuttle back down to Earth and the gravitational pull of the Earth will cause the shuttle to crash. It's happened in history before. Look up the Apollo missions. Sometimes the thing that was once used to take you higher, God has to release it from you because on the next level it becomes dead weight. God help me. And you got to understand that that doesn't make it bad. The space shuttle doesn't resent the rocket boosters. Neither do the rocket boosters hate the space shuttle because just like the space shuttle goes to the next level, the rocket boosters have to be refueled so that they can help something else. And God says you've been spoiling relationships, trying to hold on to stuff past its expiration date because anything you keep too long will eventually spoil. God, help me. Who am I preaching to in the building that knows you held on to stuff 
too long and you watch the relationships go sour. That was only for a season of your life. That was only for a part of your life. And you thought it was meant to last forever. Yes, the memories were good. Yes, the relationship was helpful. Yes, the friendship was beneficial. But the way that friendship was, was designed to be temporary. Because God is taking you to a next level. Now what you got to understand is the rocket boosters are designed to fall away at a certain altitude. God help me. They are designed automatically at a certain certain altitude to fall away. That when the space shuttle gets to a certain point, the rocket boosters will automatically fall away. Y'all don't get it yet. That when the space shuttle gets into outer space, the rocket boosters will understand the difference in gravity and they will fall back down to the earth. Meaning that nobody has to tell the rocket boosters to go away. There's an emergency switch if there's a problem to jettison them automatically, but typically that's not even used. Because when it gets to the place it's supposed to be. The boosters automatically fall away. And people have been walking away from you with no explanation. You ain't said nothing to them. You ain't done anything to make them mad. You haven't done anything, said anything to upset them. You haven't offended them, but they've walked away from you. And you've been wondering why. God told me to tell you that the abandonment you're experiencing in this season is just a sign that he's taking you to another level. That you've gotten to the place that he's getting ready to take you. And and some people can't handle, God help me. It's some snakes on the plane, God help me. And they can't survive at a certain altitude. God says some people got to fall off in this season so that they don't die because they're not cut out for the level he's taking you to. Paul talks about his abandonment. Talks about the fact that people have walked away from him. But then in verse 17, something awesome happens and I'm through. Paul transitions from complaining about the people who have wronged him and left him. And he begins to celebrate the faithfulness of God. Paul talks about all the people who have harmed him. All the people who have mishandled him. All of the people who have attacked him and maligned his character. You got to understand, we say he's being executed for preaching the gospel. But those were not the official legal charges against Paul. Paul was, was killed in Rome for sedition. For rebellion against the government. Because... Instead of saying, Kurios Caesar, Caesar is Lord, Paul had a different battle cry. He said, Kurios Christos, Christ is Lord, God help me. Paul said that the emperor of my life, the ruler of the empire in which I reside, is not Caesar. God help me. Uh, but it's Jesus Christ. And it is that declaration. It's not the gospel. It is, it's not the words that he was preaching. It was a declaration that the Lord of my life, God help me, is Jesus Christ. And Paul is getting ready to be killed as a rebel, as a rabble rouser, as an enemy of the state. He's getting ready to be killed because he believes that he answers to a different Lord, to a different king, to a different power and people have left him by himself he's got a rap sheet now Paul's a good church boy he never broke any laws he says he kept the law since his youth blameless in the eyes of the law but Paul's getting ready to be executed like a felon innocent man being killed by an Indo-European government yeah brown skinned man being killed by a government uh, that he does not answer to because he has a higher power. I want to pause here parenthetically to insert 
this question to many of us in the age of Corona and church cancellations and government restrictions. Would you still worship Christ if Christianity became illegal? Don't answer out loud because some of your behavior during this season has already told on you. Some of your behavior during this season. I, I, can, I can hear some of you saying now, well, obey the laws of the land. Uh, we got we got to do what they say. Uh, you know that Jesus talk is hate speech. You know, what, is he, what do you mean there's only one name given under heaven whereby we must be saved? What if somebody wants to call another name? What if they find peace in Buddha or Muhammad? We, we can't tell people that he's the only way. That's hate speech. But this is the climate in which Paul was living. Paul was living under a governmental system that said it was sedition to say that anybody else was Lord. To say that my edicts and my decrees don't come from the White House, they come from the Lord's house. And that's what made Paul an enemy of the state. And I got questions for people who call themselves Christians in 2020. What would you do if we went back to that? Because if you read the Bible and you believe the Bible to be true, we're headed closer to that than we are the government accepting Christianity. And if you really read the Bible, maybe this was your test. Not saying that people shouldn't have canceled services. Not saying that we shouldn't put stuff in place and exercise caution. But the church just shut up. Without any pushback, without asking any questions, they gave more credence to the NBA and the NFL and Major League Baseball than they did to the church of Jesus Christ. And yet they call themselves one nation under God. They, 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 they didn't talk about how it was going to affect the church. They didn't talk about putting anything in place. And here's how crazy some of you all are. When people actually defied the order, you called them crazy. Rather than either admiring them silently or supporting them publicly because you've been so infected to believe that the government knows what's best. Now, if anybody should question how the government behaves as it relates to the health of a person, it should be black people, Tuskegee experiment. Since when has the government been concerned about your health? By the way, the, the coronavirus killed several thousand people from November to December of 2019, but they were mostly black and brown. It didn't become a pandemic until old white men started dying. They don't care anything about you, about your mama and them, about your church. Don't let Joe Biden or Donald Trump fool you. The only one who cares about you is the one that saved your life with his life. And you need to obey him. We have a faith that has never been the religion of the state. It's always been countercultural. It has never gone along with the government. It's always been subversive. We have apostles and Men of God, women of God in the Bible who were beaten for preaching Jesus Christ. And then when they told them to stop, they said, beat us again because it's better for us to obey God rather than men. And ain't nobody threatening to beat you or to kill you. But you stopped coming to church because you were afraid to catch a virus. But you didn't stop sleeping around in a city that has one of the highest STD rates in America. 
But now all of a sudden you're scared of viruses. Preachers talking about they concern about the public health, but you're still sleeping around on your wife with no rubber at your mistress. The devil is a liar. I told y'all I felt like I was about to die this morning. This might be my last time. Let me get it all out here. You've got to learn how to love God and obey him. Because it's better to obey God rather than men. Paul says, I preached this gospel. I lived it. And people walked away from me. Yeah, I was concerned about my safety. I want to live a long time. I told Timothy I was going to see him again. But once they told me that I was going to die, I began to reconcile within myself that this was going to be my last letter that I got to write. And if it's going to be my last letter, I got to tell Timothy the truth. Part of the truth is, when I needed folk the most, when I needed people the most, they walked away from me. But then he gets to verse 17. And his pain over his predicament turns into a praise over his provider because he says, but the Lord, God help me. If I was in the Baptist church, I could stop there and tear the church up, Mike, with just that, but the Lord, God help me. Uh, Because some of you got a but the Lord testimony, God help me. Uh, Some of y'all should have been broke, but the Lord, God help me. You were sick, but the Lord. Uh, You should have been dead, but the Lord. Uh, They should have walked away from you forever and called you everything but a child of God and left you to rot, but the Lord. Uh, And that's your testimony. That's why you're here. But Paul doesn't stop at but the Lord. He says the Lord did something. What did he do, Paul? He says the Lord stood with me. Oh, God. Uh, This is not him standing behind him. Uh, But in the Greek, that word para, it means that he stood beside him. God, help me. that, 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 That he is alongside. God, help me. Uh, that, that, that the Lord is standing beside him. Paul, you were in court. Couldn't nobody see nobody with you. Uh, couldn't nobody see nobody standing beside you. You didn't even have a defense attorney because unlike the United States government, they didn't even provide Paul with a public defender. Paul was by himself in court. Paul, we can't see your helper. But you say you got one. And I believe if Paul was standing here, he'd say if you can't see a virus, but you still respect it. He says, you can't see my God, but I know he's looking out for me. God, help me. He's standing right beside me. He says, people walked away from me. They left me to die. They should have stood up for me. I stood up for them. I preached the gospel to them. I laid hands on them. I blessed their children. I prayed for them. They should have stood with me, but they walked away. But before I get too caught up in complaining, Chelsea, I got to shout now. Because my testimony is, but the Lord stood with me. God, help me. Uh, The Lord was with me in my trial. Look at what he says now. He says, but the Lord stood with me. He says, nobody supported me, but all deserted me. Verse 16. He says, may it not be charged against them. Why? Because God was there. 
that he was there to comfort me in my trial. When nobody was around, when everybody had forsaken me, Paul says, I got comfort from someplace. I was able to draw strength from somewhere because the Lord stood with me and he comforted me in the midst of my trial when adversity was coming against me and they were attacking my character and I realized that this was a kangaroo court. They weren't trying to see justice done. They were trying to see a Christian killed. Paul says in spite of that he was there with me to comfort me in my trial but not only was he always there Tiffany to comfort me in my trial. He was always there to strengthen me in my weakness. He, he was always there to strengthen me in my weakness. Look what the text says. He said, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. God help me. Oh, God. And, and the reason why you're standing is because the Lord strengthened you. Huh. But see, uh, you, you have to understand, uh, when Paul says strengthen, I didn't know this until this week, uh, that word strengthen also means, it means to make strong, to make able, but it also means, Tyreek, to make able to see. You missed it, because if you got it, you would have shouted it. He said, the Lord strengthened me. Now, that word strengthen in the Greek means to make strong. It means to make able. But it also means to empower someone to see, to give them sight. God, help me. Uh, the Lord strengthens Paul by changing how he sees his situation. God, help me. Uh, the Lord strengthens Paul. By allowing him to see something different in the midst of his calamity. God, help me. The Lord strengthens Paul by changing his worldview and his viewpoint on persecution. And allows him to see that what he's going through is only temporary. God, help me. What he's going through is only for a short time. But where he's going. God help me is eternal and somebody needs to shout not because he made you strong because my I'm a witness you may not always feel strong you may not always feel strong in your body you might wake up nauseous and throwing up and not have the strength to get up and not feel like driving and not be able to lift your arms to give him glory and not have the power to clap your hands and not have the mobility to give him a dance in the Holy Ghost but God will change you not by making you strong but by making you see what will he make you see bishop when he's when you're weak he's strong God help me when you don't have power he's powerful oh God when you're by yourself he's standing there with you he strengthens Paul but he does not simply strengthen Paul just for the sake of Paul being able to brag about his strength the Bible says he strengthens Paul so that he can use Paul God help me he changes Paul's perspective so that Paul can complete his assignment. God, help me. He says, I've got work for you to do, Paul. But you can't do the work I've called you to. Behaving the way you've always behaved and thinking the way you've always thought and going about things the way you've always gone about things. Paul says, God, strengthen me so that through me, the proclamation, God, help me, that 
word proclamation in the Greek, Brother Herman, is the word kerygma. God help me. Uh, it is proclamation, but it is not proclamation. It is simply proclamation. It is proclamation towards salvation. Only the gospel has kerygma. God help me. Oh, uh, God. It's one thing to preach. Uh, I want to help some young preacher. But it's one thing. It's a whole other thing to have something worth preaching. Yeah. Yeah, you can proclaim. But you got to have something worth proclaiming. Paul says, God strengthened me not so I could just talk my own ideas and tell my own story and complain about my own perspective and tell my members what I could have been if I hadn't decided to serve the Lord and complain about where I could be if I hadn't decided to pastor them. Paul says, God strengthened me not so I can strengthen myself, but so that I could do the proclamation and that it might be fully accomplished. Here it is. And that all the Gentiles might hear. Uh, Paul says, God used this situation to put me in proximity to people who wouldn't have heard the gospel had God not allowed me to be abandoned. God help me. And you understand this from Philippians, which Paul wrote from this same jail cell. Paul says, he says, look, I know this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul, Paul says, look, I understand that this has been bad. This has been horrible. It's been hurtful. It's been painful. He said, but I know this thing is going to turn around. Because God is using my circumstance. God help me. To make sure that somebody hears something that they would not have heard had I not been hurt. God help me. Some of us need to learn how to thank God for our pain. Because our pain is what God uses to fuel our proclamation. God help me. Oh, God, you're going through trouble now. You're praying for somebody right now. You're asking God to do something now. And you don't understand why you're in the situation. You feel like you've done all you can, like you've done everything you should. And it's happening anyhow. God says, I'm using it to position you in the midst of your pain for proclamation. God, help me. God says somebody is going to watch you suffer. And by them watching you suffer, They'll get more from you suffering well than they will from you sermonizing. Yeah. They'll get more, God help me, from watching you get up every morning. Even if you got to do it with tears in your eyes. They'll get more from watching you do that than they will from hearing you talk. And I pray, this is my prayer, my personal prayer for myself. That people are not inspired by my oratorical skill. That people are not inspired by my preaching gift or by my leadership. I pray that people who are able to watch me are able to watch me and my wife suffer and still show up, God help me, to be left and still lead people, to be broken and not be bitter, because people will learn more by watching you live than they'll ever learn by hearing you preach, because it's easy to preach a gospel that you don't live, and it's easy to holler about something that's not in your heart, oh, but God says that you got to live it in the time of trouble, and I think the coronavirus has exposed the fact that many preachers and Christians have been preaching a gospel that they don't really live but Paul says God positioned me in prison put me on death row so that the proclamation the kerygma the gospel of Jesus Christ can be fully accomplished and all the Gentiles might hear it I'm finished here he said here, here's the last thing God was always there he was always there 
to comfort me in my trial, to strengthen me in my weakness. But then thirdly, and I'm through, he was always there to rescue me from all danger. He says, and I was delivered by him out of the lion's mouth. And the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. He says, I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Yeah. Uh, theologians and historians, they would disagree about the lion specifically that Paul was talking about. Perhaps Paul was talking about the literal lions that Christians were fed to in the Roman Colosseum, but because of Paul's Roman citizenship, that would have been illegal. So he could not have been talking about literal lions. Paul could be executed, but he could not be executed in an inhumane way because he was a Roman citizen. So he couldn't have been talking about literal lions. Then Historians assert that perhaps then, since he was not talking about literal lions, that perhaps he was talking about the great lion, Leonis Hazar, Caesar Nero. The Nero who started the Christian persecution. He's saying, I was delivered out of the lion's mouth. We understand that this could not be the case because at this point in the text, Paul had not yet gotten to appeal his case before the Roman emperor. Paul had a lower court trial where nobody showed up. Before he was executed, he would appeal his case to the Roman emperor. He had not seen Caesar yet, but because of Caesar's persecution of the church, he understood that Caesar was not going to favorably view his case. So he couldn't have been talking about Caesar. But then thirdly, some historians and theologians assert that Paul understands, like Jesus said, that Satan is like a roaring lion. Seeking whom he may devour. And that makes sense because this would not be the first occasion in which Paul found himself in danger. Paul was shipwrecked, but he lived. He was snake bitten, but he lived. He was stoned outside the city gates, but he lived. He was in prison, but he lived. And God had spared him from that wicked lion called the devil time and time again. And I believe that that's what Paul is talking about. Paul is saying that there might be people around me, but I don't elevate people to that level because I understand I'm the one that wrote it. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. That even though people are trying to kill me, it's not really people that want to see me dead. It's that old nasty devil, that nefarious nemesis, Lucifer, that wants to see me killed in the midst of my proclamation. But God has rescued me. God, help me. From all danger. God, help me. Uh, uh, but it's not. I told y'all a few weeks ago that typically when we talk about rescue, when we talk about saved, there's a Greek word used called sozo. That's not Sherrod, the word that's used in the text. Because sozo is situational salvation. God does sozo every time you're in danger. He snatches you out. Right? Uh, sozo is like your baby being in the street and a car is coming. And you snatch them out of the way of the oncoming car. 
you're not always snatching bread. Paul renders this word in the New King James, this word is rendered as deliberate. Meaning that I've been permanently rescued. But that's a problem for me, Mike, because I don't understand how Paul can be permanently rescued and he's presently in trouble. How can Paul be permanently delivered, but he's presently in danger? It is because Paul understands that my salvation, my deliverance, is not based on this life. Uh, I want to help you. Some of y'all think deliverance is God keeping you safe over here. But sometimes God allows life to get so bad over here so that over there will look better to you than over here. Because when over there starts to look better to you than over here, you'll treat over here differently. God, help me. Uh, when, when over there looks better to you than over here, you'll begin to adjust your priorities and how you spend your money will change and how you preserve your legacy will shift because you're not living for this life. But you'll be like the old church that said, I'm living this life just to live again. That you'll understand that you only live once is not the cry of the believer. That it is appointed to man, according to the Bible, once to die and then judgment. That when this life is over, there is a life beyond this one that salvation affords you access to. And that's not why. That's why we live the way we live. That's why we answer to a different kingdom. That's why we don't base what we do on what we see. Because the Bible says that what we see is temporary. But what's not seen is eternal. Do you hear what I'm saying? Paul says God has delivered me. Even though my body is in trouble. My spirit is free. My Angelou said I know why the caged bird sings. But I believe that even before Maya caught that revelation... Paul said, I can shout in the midst of my circumstance in jail because my body is locked up. But the cry of my soul is some glad morning, Lord help me. When this life is over, I'll fly away. Now there are things in that song that don't make sense to you if over here looks better than over there. But if over there looks better than over here, you can say like the saints, when I die, you can say hallelujah, God help me. By and by, God help me. I don't know when the day is coming, but I can greet it with a hallelujah because I know I'm going to fly away. Paul says that I was rescued. I feel like, like having church right now. He says, I, I was rescued, yes, from the lion's mouth. But here it is. And the Lord. He starts off the stanza with but the Lord. He ends it with and the Lord. <laughs> he says, but the Lord stood with me. He ends it by saying, Tiffany, and the Lord will. God help me. <laughs> if you can't shout over but the Lord, 
because of your situation, it doesn't look like you got a but the Lord. Paul says, I'm coming down your street in a minute. If you can't shout over but the Lord, you can shout over the promise that the Lord will. He says, you might be looking at a dead and dark and damp and dismal situation, but the Lord will. God, help me. He's going to do something. What is he going to do? He's going to, direct, he's going to rescue me. He says, I have been rescued, right? But the Lord will rescue me. This is the progression of theology, the already not yet of Christians, that we're supposed to live in a state where we are and yet still becoming. We are saved, and yet we are being saved. We are saved, right? But the Bible says uh, the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God, right? So you are progressively becoming, even though you already are, you've been saved, but you're being saved. You've been rescued, but you're being rescued day by day. As a matter of fact, is there anybody here who can testify parenthetically, I get a little bit more saved every day? Yeah, not, I'm more saved this year than I was last year because last year uh, there was a lot more things on the list that I would have cussed you out for, but the list gets shorter and shorter every year. As a matter of fact, every round goes higher and higher. I'm saved, but I'm being saved. This is a theology of progressive sanctification, that you are being conformed daily into the image of Jesus Christ, that you are saved instantly, and yet God is making you more like Jesus every single day. So that when he appears, we will be like him. Why? For we shall see him as he is. Yeah, he says, I've been rescued, but the Lord will rescue me. From every evil deed. And check this out. He's going to bring me. Safely. <laughs> Lord help me. I'm trying not to cry. He said he's going to bring me safely. Lord have mercy. Into his heavenly kingdom. But he doesn't stop there. Paul. In the midst of prison. With a death sentence hanging over his life. Doesn't know when the execution is coming. He implores Timothy to come before winter and bring some parchments because I got some more letters I want to write before I die. Says Timothy, in 1 Timothy, I was coming to you. But now in 2 Timothy, I'm not going to make it, so I'm begging for you to come to me. And we understand through history, Timothy did not make it to see Paul before his execution. Paul wrote his letters from this prison. They were distributed after his execution. He died in jail. And if Paul, the one that explains to us what the gift of prophecy is, if Paul, the one who explains to us what foresight and foreknowledge and a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge is, if he's writing this letter, and his execution is coming. He looks at death. And he does not cry. But he says in spite of what I'm getting ready to go through. To him be glory. God help me. Forever and ever. Amen. I got to stop there. Unless you miss the point. Paul says. Not to him 
be some glory. Because some glory would have kept him out of trouble. Because Caesar didn't mind sharing some glory. But he says in the Greek, to him be the glory, God, all of the glory. The glory in its entirety. The glory that will not be shared with anybody else. Caesar, you can't get in on this. This is God's glory. And I'm wondering now, I used to wonder, rather, how can you look at death and give God glory? How, how can you look at your life getting ready to be over and say to him, be glory? In my study time, I decided, since Paul likes writing letters, to shoot Paul an email. Found Paul's email address, Tiffany, and I sent Paul an email because I had to ask him. I said, Paul, I don't understand how you are able to give God glory in the face of death. How are you able to look at your life about to be over and give God praise in the midst of what you are going through. Paul wrote me back, believe it or not. He told me, he said, well, Josh, uh, you're preaching a message aptly titled, He, being God, was always there. Meaning that when I needed God in this life, God was with me. But the reason why I can shout over my execution is because Caesar doesn't understand that when he loosens my mortal coil, when he frees me from this life, I no longer have to shout about him being with me. God help me. But I can begin to give him glory because I get to be with him. God help me. Paul says my confession changes, Lord help me. And it changes from he was always there to now finally I get to be with him. Paul says I'm getting ready to go now to a place where the wicked shall cease from troubling. God help me. My daddy is watching now. I got to preach it like I feel it. And the weary shall be at rest. Yes, and all of the saints of the ages will sit at his feet and be blessed. And I asked Paul... I said, Paul, I've got to preach it now to a millennial audience. They're very descriptive in how they imagine stuff. So can you describe the place that you're getting ready to go? He said, well, Bishop, I'm going to a place where the walls are made of jasper. I'm going to a place where the streets are paved with gold. 
I said, well, Paul, if you're getting excited about the walls and the streets, are there houses up there? He said, I'm glad you asked me, Bishop. He said, the Lord said, in my father's house are many mansions. Now, I live in a condo, David, but I ain't never had a mansion. My mama and daddy got a big house, but I ain't never had a mansion. Some of you are well off, but you ain't never seen a mansion. But you ought to be able to shout like those sharecroppers in Mississippi that used to testify that I'm not allowed to own any property on this side. But one day I'll wave my title clear to mansion in the sky. Is there anybody here that can say, I know where I'm going? I said, Paul, there are streets of gold, walls of jasper, there are mansions in the sky. But millennials, they don't wear a lot of gold. They probably don't understand jasper. And because of the environment, they may not want a big house because it's hard to keep it green, Paul. Can you tell me not about the stuff they'll have, but about the people that they see? Paul said, there's a throne with the witnesses all around the throne. There's a place where you got to say goodbye on this side. But when you get there, it's always howdy, howdy, and never goodbye. Is there anybody here that's ready for the always good morning place? For the always hello place, to the place where it's always Sunday, and the Sabbath will have no end. Is there anybody here that's looking forward to going to that land? I said, Paul, somebody might get excited because they got a grandmother over there. They might get excited because they got a father over there. They might get excited because they got a mother over there. But I said, what if they haven't had to say goodbye to a loved one? What if they haven't had to say goodbye to a relative. Paul said, I got you because I looked over yonder and on the throne I saw a lamb that was slain before the foundation, the foundation of the world. I said, Paul, they don't understand livestock. They're not going to get excited about a lamb. He said, they'll get excited about this lamb because the closer I got to the throne, I saw nail scars in the hands of the lamb. I saw a spear wound in the side of the lamb. I saw rivets in the feet of the lamb. I saw a crown of thorns on the head of this lamb. His name 
is a wonderful counselor, everlasting father, prince of peace. I'm not going to get to go to Bishop Allen's funeral, but he said, I've never been to Italy to see a gondola play. I've never been to New Orleans for Mardi Gras or Carnival Day, but I want to go. I want to go to heaven when I see Jesus. Yes, sir. When I see Jesus, is there anybody here that can say, I want to see Jesus? I want to see him for myself. I want to touch him and have him touch me back. I want to see him. Kneecaps like diamonds, feet like polished brass. Brass is brown, by the way. Feet like polished brass. Eyes like balls of fire. Is there anybody here that wants to see him for yourself? I want to see him to look upon his face. There to sing forever of his amazing grace. On the streets, the streets of glory, there I lift my voice. Cares are past, home at last, ever, ever to rejoice. Look at somebody and said, neighbor, he was always there. He was there in my trouble. He was there in my pain. He was there when daddy wasn't there. He was there when mama couldn't be there. Won't he wipe every tear from your eye? And I can't wait until I see him to tell him thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Face to face. I can't wait until I can give him glory, glory, glory to the Lamb of God. Is there anybody here who feels like praising him now? Open up your mouth and give him glory because he's worthy to be praised from the rising of the sun until the going down of the same the Lord is I said the Lord is to me or should I try it I said the Lord is worthy to be praised I said the Lord is worthy to be praised find something in the midst of your problem to praise God to praise him for because if you don't praise him the rocks will cry out and no rocks no rocks thank you Pastor Backus are going to cry out for me is there anybody in the building that can give him praise yeah 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 because he's worthy to be praised he's brought you through dangers seen and unseen, faith restored. He's brought you two years. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch, a wretch like me. I 